The following is recorded for Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, I'm Pastor Matt. I'm glad you're here. Like uh, Kevin said, there's a visitor card somewhere in your worship guide or We used to say somewhere in the vicinity of you, but it's in your worship guide. Not somewhere. It's the last page, so if you'll fill that out. Um, And then I want to thank you for that. Uh, I do want to take just a minute at the beginning and ask for a little bit of grace. Last week, we did our our baptism service. We had a new process. We got to use the pool, which was awesome, um, instead of our inflatable pool. Uh, And we were trying to help the parents understand that we were taking the elementary kids across the street for the baptism, and we didn't get that message to all of you, so please forgive us. Have grace on us. This is a house of grace, please. And uh, all that. Thank you for not parking in the uh, the pool parking lot. We want to keep that relationship healthy and good, and I know it's a beating to try to park in the field and other places and all that, all that fun stuff. Um, I was thinking about sending Heather out to stand in a spot and hold it for me, um, but since I get here so early, I didn't have to worry about that. Um, just one quick update on our on the facility plan. Uh, we had some meetings this week with construction managers, so that was, uh, if you can imagine, kind of my world. That was a whole lot of fun, um, you know, talking numbers and all these acronyms that I had to get in the car with uh, our architect. Uh, my brother Andrew's our architect. I, it was the cool thing. I got to see him at work this week, which was awesome. He's incredible. As an amazing firm, but I had to ask them to translate uh, after the meetings what the acronyms meant. So uh, I'm really smart now on some architectural and construction acronyms, but we have some meetings this week to talk through some timelines, and hopefully we'll be closer to a date on closing and all that fun stuff. So we'll keep you updated on that. At the end of the teaching, we are going to bring the kids in here for a back-to-school prayer. Um, All teachers, administrators, and kids, elementary kids, um, your kids that are in preschool, we love them, but we don't have room to bring them in here. So uh, um, we'll be praying for them, but it's really elementary kids. Um, Don't be trying to sneak any in here, by the way. Um, Also, and then what we're going to do after, to help all the craziness, because when we bring them in here, it's going to get a little more full I know we've got plenty of wide open space, and that's just how we roll, but uh, then we'll take them back, and then you can pick them up after the last song, and then uh, uh, you guys can take them to lunch, and you know, we, they're tanked up with sugar right now, so they're good to go. Um, so we're going to go on in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be, so if you've got your Bible, meet me there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the ends of the rows for you. If you don't own one, write your name in it. I never get tired of saying that. We want you to have access to the Word of God. We want you to be able to read it, underline it, highlight it, make notes in the margin. Do whatever you want. But let me tell you something. Get it from, from the page to here to here as quick as possible. I mean, that's where the transformation is going to happen. That's where life change happens. And so today we're going to kind of do just a gospel ride-along. Um, I have friends in law enforcement, and one of the things that I think is, is, is fun is going on a ride-along. Got to do a ride-along with a police officer several years ago. Still can't convince them to give me a gun, but we're working on that. Um, but it's, it's pretty, I kind of go cops on them. I'm like, let's just arrest them just because we can. He's like, it doesn't work that way. But I was just riding along, observing what was going on. We're going to do that really with this, this passage today. Um, I, I just want us to get involved with it. Uh, let's find ourselves in it, and then 
Let's see what God wants to say to us through this passage. Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and and we're going to see about halfway through the the passage that we're studying today that Luke joins them. Luke kind of comes comes in and and joins this missionary journey. Let me set it up for you a little bit, because Paul uh, last week had a pretty sharp disagreement with Barnabas. They actually parted ways and decided we're going to go this way. Barnabas went a different way, took Mark. Uh, We dealt with some emotional and relational things last week. I know last week I I talked to some of you and you had some some work to do. And so I was praying for you this week and and, um, I noticed that none of you unfriended me from Facebook this week. So I wasn't one of those relationships you felt like you needed to cut. But uh, we talked through that and uh, the couple weeks before that, we dealt with a big church argument. We're going to see the results of that church argument today because the missionary journey launches because they go to tell and report to the churches what they, had, what they discovered from the council about salvation and the rules and, the, and, and what they felt needed to happen. What I love about the Apostle Paul is he's very passionate about the gospel. Everything about the Christian life is, is movement, is going. It's not sitting. Nowhere are we called to become Christ followers and build our comfort. I mean, uh, one of the things that really will kill ministry is comfort. And, and so God calls us to this life of engagement. Paul had an incredible transformation on the road to Damascus in this experience with Jesus. And he didn't just finish the trip and end up in Damascus and go, well, I'm saved. Now I guess I just wait for Jesus to come back. Because at the beginning of Acts, Jesus ascended. He sent his Holy Spirit to be with us, to to be that, that motivator, that fuel, that convictor, that comforter, everything that we need for the ministry of the church on earth. And then he, Jesus says, I'll be back. We don't sit as the church and go, well, let the Holy Spirit give us the patience to sit until Jesus comes back. Everything is movement. Everything is, is going and taking the word. And, and Paul takes this very seriously. And so let's, let's just jump into this and do a ride along. We're in chapter 16. Um, here we go. Verse 1. He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer but his father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. So what happens is you have the sharp disagreement and Paul takes Silas. They start heading out to go report back to the churches all what the, the council had come uh, to the conclusion of. And you know, you, those of you who know me know I'm not going to bypass this circumcision talk again. We're, we're, we're going right at it, but I need to set it up. Um, what had happened that caused the great argument in the church was an issue of circumcision, was an issue of law, was an issue of this, this whole thing that's really killed a bunch of ministries is legalism. The, the idea was it's Jesus plus something else equals salvation. What we came to the conclusion of a couple weeks ago, if you try to add Jesus plus anything to equal salvation, it's going to be a complete toxic mess. You will have uh, people that, that they're, they're probably believers, but they're going to gather. It's going to quickly turn toxic because we become police officers. We want to go cops on each other, and we don't make very good enforcers, and it's going to become toxic very quickly. So the, the whole premise of the council, remember, we feel it good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with these things. 
Circumcision does not equal salvation. So why does Timothy in this case get circumcised? Think about it. Let me give you Paul's actually doctrine in the book of Galatians about circumcision. We'll say it enough to make you feel uncomfortable. I'm already uncomfortable, but but that's just how I live, you know. Um, Galatians 1, 6. Paul says this. This is a letter written to the church in Galatia. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. So Paul is creating some very hard line talk here. The thing I loved about Paul, he's very soft in person, but he could write a mean letter. It's like some, some folks I know with email. I mean, I will get an email that, man, I feel like I'm, they're just ready to, to just take me out behind the woodshed and shoot me, and I'll schedule a meeting, and it's nothing of the sort. Paul's kind of that way, but he has some very strong opinions and feelings and doctrine around this idea of salvation, and he says, that's not what's going to get you there. If you're trying to believe anything other than the gospel, then it's, it, don't listen. Have nothing to do with that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Don't be trying to hear that. Whatever you need to hear, walk away from it. It is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And and let me clarify the gospel. The gospel is good news. The good news is that we are born broken. Jesus, who is the Son of God, wrapped himself in flesh, walked this earth, lived a perfect life, walked the hill to Calvary, hung on a cross, was placed in a borrowed tomb. The power of the Holy Spirit on, on Easter Sunday, the third day, called him from that tomb. That is the good news. Nothing else. There is no other name under which we can be saved other than Jesus. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's the good news. There's nothing else to do. We don't earn it. We don't try to figure it out. It's by grace through faith. Period. That's what Paul's saying. And he's dealing with this idea of circumcision. Let me read to you chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. He goes on. Let me go, to, let me go over to chapter 5 because here's where he really gets, gets into it. Most read you verse 1 and 2. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. I'm setting up some confusion so we can go through and bring clarity. So Paul has a very strong line against circumcision. I'm going to go there. This is verse 12. He even says this about those that are saying you need to be circumcised. He says, as for those agitators, I wish that they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. He's like, just keep cutting. I'm telling you, I know it's uncomfortable, but the reality is when when I... when I really started reading scripture, I prayed, God, if it's funny, let me get the humor in it. 
I mean, Paul, he's, he's, he's been pretty blunt with them. And so Paul says, it's not going to save you. Circumcision is not an issue of salvation. So why, why when Paul and, his, and Silas come in and they meet Timothy, they're like, Timothy, I would like to take you on this missionary journey with me. I need you to fill out some forms. We're going on a mission trip. Fill out some forms, take this class, get your insurance, and then, oh, by the way, there's something we've got to take care of. Okay. Line. Um, If I were Timothy, I wouldn't have to outrun Paul. I just got to outrun whoever else he's inviting on the trip. But think about this in context. Why did, Timothy allow, why did Timothy let Paul do this and why did Paul do this? It wasn't an issue of salvation. The context, Timothy didn't get, allow himself to be circumcised so he could be saved. He did it so that others might be saved. His mother was a Jew. His father was a Greek. He didn't want anything to hinder his voice to the Jewish people. Remember, as we talked about this trip, he... Paul had taken Silas. They were going into Tarsus. They were going into some areas that were Jewish strongholds, and they were preaching the gospel. Timothy knew that going through this would give him a voice to the people that he's trying to preach to. Let's bring it into our context. It's really asking ourselves this question. What rights do I give up for someone else to hear the gospel? I mean, let, let's, just really, let's just really get into this. I mean, if, if those who created the church argument said that you have to believe in Jesus and be circumcised and follow the law, and then you can be saved, we fall into the same thing. It's, it's all motivated by fear, really. We fall into this trap of maybe some of you are even here today because you're worried that God's on your back, and if you show up at church, he'll get off your back for a week. That's motivated by fear. We put the giving stations on the, by the door, and some of you are giving out of fear. Some of you are serving out of fear. L- let me help you with Heather and I's core foundational belief when we launched the church. God is sovereign. God is in control. God holds it all together. All things are created by Him and for Him, and He holds all things together. I don't depend on you for anything. I don't have to get up here and launch a church and ask you for money. I don't have to beg you to serve. I'm getting close. But I don't have to beg you to do do that. Here's what I believe. God is sovereign. If we will see Jesus for who he really is, if our lives are transformed, it will change how we do it. It, Get this, it will change our motivation. Instead of a fear-based motivation, it's a love-based motivation. When my life has been transformed by Jesus, I give out of love. I serve out of love. The things I do, I do because I love Him and I want to see lives changed as a result. I don't give out of compulsion or guilt. I give with a cheerful heart so people will hear the gospel. We stood in that pool last week and we got to baptize people who behind every one of those stories was someone who had given up some rights so that they could hear the gospel. Behind every person that walked in that pool last week was somebody who had given 
because they love Jesus. There's somebody that we baptize kids. And let me tell you something. My calling is not back there in Creek Kids. Some of y'all it is. And I have a high respect for our Creek Kids teachers because they go in there and it's not an easy thing because we tank our kids up with sugar and caffeine and hand them to a teacher and go, here, teach them the gospel. Good luck. But they're in there. They're not just watching our kids. They're back there. They're impressing in their heart that you are loved. You are created by God. You're created for a purpose. Jesus loves you. I love our Creek Kids team. And they don't serve out of compulsion or they're guilted into serving because that's a fear-based motivation. They serve because they love the kids and they see them stand in a pool and we get to celebrate life change. The pool isn't the life change. That's our chance to celebrate it. That's a decision that those children have made. There's rights that have been given up so people can hear the gospel. Tomorrow morning when you walk into your office, there are things that you will give up that are your absolute right so that somebody can hear the gospel. That's what Timothy's doing. It's a motive of love. And he does the things he does because he loves Jesus and wants to glorify him. Jesus set the model for that. He gave up his right to call legions of angels at his disposal in the garden. He's the God of the universe. I just said all things are created by him and for him. Colossians is speaking of Jesus. He had the right to say, send them, Father. And he said, but not my will, but your will be done. Because God received glory through the cross. Yes, it's brutal, but he received glory because he gets us. We give up our rights so that people can hear the gospel. Let's keep going. Uh, verse uh, 6. We'll go back to Acts. I got to start using this bookmark, man. I had to use a table of contents the other day. Which, by the way, I was validated. There are other mature believers and Christians who had to use a table of contents in their Bible. No shame in that. Verse 6. Uh, Paul, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mysia and went to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, here's where Luke joins in. Here's the ride along. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to him. It's picking up some momentum. Now, this isn't, there's some interesting things that are going on in this, and there's a principle I want to talk to you about, but I, need to, I want to qualify it too. It's this idea of go until God says no. When Heather and I were praying about launching a church, we knew what we were called to do. We knew that we were called to preach the gospel. And and I'll be honest with you, this idea of go until God says no, this morning, if I would have had my way, we would have been standing in somewhere in a building in Fairhope, Alabama, preaching the gospel in Alabama, because that's the place I liked best. It's beautiful. 
I mean, the guy who wrote Forrest Gump is there. And so, you know, that's just dear to my heart. I mean, it wasn't far from BioLabatry and the seafood and the ocean air. I'm just like, yes, Jesus, please, Lord. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't let it happen. When, when Heather and I were studying and wrestling, I mean, it was four years ago this summer, summer of 09. And we're wrestling with some things. And we, we studied a story in the Old Testament of Jonathan and his armor bearer. And his father Saul was asleep under the pomegranate tree. And God just really put the question to Heather and I, are you going to climb the hill? And when I told Heather, Heather, I believe this is what God's called us to do. She looked at me and she said, I'm with you heart and soul. I didn't need anything else at that point. God had told us to go. And my wife says, I'm with you heart and soul. We started going until God says no. We went into cities and towns and we would go to the center and pray. There was no peace. There was restraint. And then we get lost and we find Marine Creek Ranch. And in that moment, the peace of God. You go until God says no. And, and let, me, let me just, when I say I need to qualify this, there may be some in this room that hear me say that and you want to continue to go in your own way. You use your selfish ambition or your vain conceit to do what you want to do. That's, that's, let me tell you, you're going to find yourself opposing God at that point because it's pride-driven. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself hitting not just a closed door, but an absolute wall that's going to be the hand of God coming against you. And I, I don't want that. You go until God says no, which means you go and preach in the gospel and you go in giving him glory. And, and that's what Paul's doing. He's like, we want to preach the gospel more. We're going until you say no. They wanted to go to Asia. God said no. And then that night, God gives Paul a vision. God does still speak. A closed door in your life is not always God's disapproval of what, what your life is. Sometimes it's a blessing, but you've got to hear God in this. You've got to understand that God has called us to preach the gospel. He's called us to go. He's commanded us to go. There's nothing stationary about the gospel. The key is being sensitive to know when to go and when to stay. And so God began to, God speaks to Paul through a vision. I don't know how God speaks to you. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but God still speaks. I believe he primarily speaks through his word. I think when you look at scripture, he's telling us kind of the, the what and the how. The what is the gospel and how to do it. And everything I read in this is humility, love, meekness, gentleness. But I have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to know the when and the where. There's a dynamic. So God speaks to us through his word for all time. And the Holy Spirit gives that word for the real time. So how do you hear the Holy Spirit? This is a big, this is a big issue. Um, And this isn't an easy one. But we have to get ourselves in a position where we can hear. I mean, when Heather and I were launching the church, and it's not even just launching the church, man, it's 
how do I lead my family? Because when I read scripture, it doesn't tell me what the curfew for my daughter should be. So I let the Holy Spirit tell me it's nine o'clock, right? Uh, I think the biggest thing is we need to learn to be quiet. I don't know if you're like me, but I don't think I had a quiet moment this week. We, we get really good at formulating our prayer time to go through the, the Acts model, you know, the, the admiration, the confession, the thanksgiving, and the supplication. But I think we miss this, zipping it. Talk to God. Ask God questions and then be quiet. Like I said, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but a lot of times it's a peace. I've never had a vision of a man standing. I mean, what an awesome story to stand here and go, well, I wanted to go to Fairhope, Alabama, but I had this vision, and it was a man from Marine Creek Ranch and, and Saginaw, Fort Worth area saying, come and preach the gospel to us. How cool would that be? It wasn't. Here's how God tends to move and, and, and move me. There's a subtle discontent with reality. And I start to question, God, am I really doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now? And I start praying and I start listening and then God gives me a peace. I've said this many times throughout this process of the facility. We will not go until the peace of God moves us. Our leadership teams, when we get together and we pray about this, we pray for peace to move forward in the presence of God or restraint of the Holy Spirit. It comes from Acts 16. Holy Spirit, stop us. Because we know you're doing something else. And then when he answers you, verify it through Scripture. God will not ask you to do something that is contrary to his word. If you're submitted to his word, that's going to start going against the selfish nature that we have to use God for whatever benefit and gain we want to use. And then get some godly counsel and wisdom. And Heather's amazing wisdom in my life. I have men and women around me that I can ask and say, this is what I'm wrestling with, and I get godly counsel. It's verified through Scripture. And then here's the kicker. Do it. Engage with it. Giddy up, as some would say. Some people stop until God says go. You know, we're called to go until God says no. And it's not that God didn't want the gospel preached in Asia. The challenge is understanding. Here's the big challenge. The challenge isn't what's good and bad when we start weighing out some, some options. You know, is it good or bad to, to share the gospel with this person? Is it good or bad to do this in my family? The, the challenge is what's good versus best. Would it have been good to go to Asia and preach the gospel? Absolutely, because people were hearing the gospel. I'm sure there were lives that would be changed with it. But was it best? And God shut the door and said, it's best to go this way, Paul. And let's, let's read about what that happened. There actually is a point in all this too, by the way. Um, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading, um, leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Okay, Philippi's in the Roman colony is a place where a lot of Roman soldiers would go and retire. It's a very strategic city. 
On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of, uh, was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So what's going on? They go into Macedonia. They go in. They enter Philippi. They go outside on the Sabbath to pray. They end up meeting Lydia. Now, Lydia, Lydia's got some, some clout or some money. I know some of us have purple clothes, and it's all, man, it's purple's right on. But in the first century, to have purple meant you got some money. That was the bling of the day. You know, we were laughing about the Flavor Flav watch on our our chest, you know, the conversations we have. But Lydia was a dealer in purple linen. In order to get the dye and make that fabric, it was very expensive. Okay, Lydia was a worshiper of God, but the next line says that God opened her heart to receive this message. And this sounds familiar because I know a lot of people that can talk about God from a head knowledge and we, we claim a worship of God, but our heart hasn't been transformed. We, we, there's a worship from the head out of maybe a fear motivation, but the love hasn't transformed our heart. And so God, Paul said, or Luke said here, that God opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house and she persuaded us. She probably persuaded them with food. Anytime you get Christians together, you're going to get food, probably a potato salad or some mayonnaise-based casserole. Um, there, there's some strategic uh, things going on in here. God closes doors because he can see beyond that closed door. Paul wanted to go into Asia and preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit restrained them. And then they end up meeting Lydia. So, so here's, here's what happens is God closes the door in Asia, ends up introducing them to Phil, in Philippi to a lady named Lydia who gets saved, invites them to her house. There's hospitality. The people who get saved in Philippi start a church. That church happens in Lydia's house and it grows. Then when Paul's in prison, and here's the strategic nature of Philippi, when Paul's in prison in Rome, and first century prison's much different than today. The only support you get is what people bring you. They bring you food. They bring you clothing. They bring you all your supplies. And so the biggest supporter of Paul while he's in prison is the church at Philippi. And he writes a letter back to this church that's in the New Testament called Philippians. And the whole theme of the book is joy. Okay, so a closed door later creates the provision for Paul while he's in prison. He's still preaching the gospel while he's chained to Roman soldiers. It pr- provides the food and the necessary items he needs, and, and it sustains him. And then he's able to say, through a closed door, when I wanted to go to Asia, God opened up this whole thing. We met Lydia. She responded to the word of God. They now support the ministry, although we're in prison. And I received joy as a result of this. And I'm going to share that joy back with this church. You've got to understand, sometimes a closed door in your life is God has something better planned down the road. 
It doesn't mean closed doors don't hurt. It doesn't mean we don't go through a grieving process when something we feel gets taken away from us, but we don't become whiny Christians and we sit and say, God, I'm going to stay right here until you open that door because I want that door open. I'll tell you sometimes, sometimes if that door gets open, on the other side is the destruction of you. I've walked through many doors that I kicked open in the name of God only to try to find the exit as quick as I could. The whole point in this is that the greatest joy for a Christian is when God gets what he wants through our life. That when I'm willing to put myself aside, I'm humbling myself to God and saying, God, not my will, but your will. The greatest joy. Okay, think about this. We, we, we read of Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Say what? So the brutal death and the joy set before him in that brutal death. Why? Because God got what he wants. I'm telling you, man, there's a lot of things I want in my life. But the greatest thing that we can want is for God to get what he wants through us. So really, we kind of hit a point here of, is our heart going to be like Lydia's? Is our heart open? Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're not a believer. You've got some head knowledge about Jesus and this whole thing of, of, well, this is what I heard growing up, or this, your belief set has been formed on something other than the truth of Scripture. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you've been following him for years. And maybe you're sitting there at a closed door going, God, what do I do? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for you to, to be silent and so you can hear the whisper of God. There's a lot of voices and noise shouting at us, but we need to hear the still, small voice to tell us what we need to do. Think of all that God has done, all the open doors and closed doors to lead you to this moment. God closed the door to Asia, which opens a door to Philippi, which closes other doors, which opens other doors. And throughout the generations and centuries, doors have been closed and opened for a door to be opened to us after many closed doors in a daycare facility in northwest Fort Worth for us to stand here and to receive, hear, and proclaim the gospel. And I will tell you this, as we leave this place, there will be more doors that are closed. There will be more doors that are open. But the, the challenge is, are we willing to submit our life to God in such a way that our greatest joy comes from Him getting what He wants? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that we can trust you because you are trustworthy. Father, I know that some of us right now are sitting in the face of closed doors and we're sitting here in the face of big decisions of, of what now? Or maybe we've been praying that some doors get opened that just aren't happening. And, and Father, I pray that you give us uh, open hearts, open our minds, open our ears. Father, I pray that you shut our mouths. Quiet our minds and open our spirits so we can hear and receive what you're telling us here and now. 
We thank you that your word stands and scripture stands for all time and speaks for all time. We ask you for the sensitivity to hear your voice, to hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit for here and now. Father, for some in this room, maybe that voice and the the quietness and the depth of the soul is maybe for the first time you're opening their heart to hear and respond to the gospel. Maybe for the first time in the quietness of, of where they're at in this moment, even amidst the noise of life, this still quiet right now, you're whispering, I love you. Maybe it's the first time in a long time or ever that they've heard that they're loved. Father, I pray that you just begin to replace that fear with your love. And I pray that as Lydia said, if you consider us believers, Lord, I I pray that you give them the courage to say to you, not to me or Paul, to you, I believe you, God. I believe that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. And I ask him to be the center of my life. I pray that you just reshape everything in my life so that everything revolves around him and he becomes the Lord of my life, not out of a motivation of fear, but because love of the cross, love for me. Father, for those of us that have been following you for a while, I pray that you that you pick us up when we've sat at a closed door and we've begun to pout. Forgive us. Father, give us a vision of where to go and what to do in a way that you know we will see it, we will hear it, and we will respond to it. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.